Colleagues, welcome back to the office. It's Steve. Welcome to our podcast for today. This is What's Coming Next Technology for Today's Financial Professional Part 3. In this series, we have been looking at the latest and greatest, you know, stuff that's essentially just coming up, uh, coming into fruition within our economy and within our world of technology, uh, business services, products, tools, uh, technology big topics and more. Uh, and today we're going to continue our discussion. Uh, today we're specifically going to be looking at three areas of technology that are, in my opinion, pretty emerging uh, and definitely on the forefront of where technology is going over the next couple of years. Uh, those three topics are blockchain and cryptocurrency. We'll also talk a little bit about NFTs as well, integration, data sharing, and artificial intelligence. Now, these three topics are right on the bleeding edge in terms of what we can expect in technology over the next couple of years. Uh, blockchain changing the way that we store and recall information, bringing a higher degree of trust uh, to the information that is available and, and producing reports that are highly reliable in the sense that, that the data itself uh, could be trusted not to have been altered or modified in any material way. Uh, and cryptocurrency, you know, as being a modern financial instrument, I'm not going to say a better or, or not as good financial instrument. It's just a different type of instrument um, that is allowing and providing access uh, for uh, trade to occur anywhere in the world. Um <coughs> uh, and then we also have some emerging topics within this area as well, including this new thing called NFTs or non-fungible transactions. What are they and what do they mean for us? Uh, in data sharing and integration, really, we're talking about the world of APIs, application programming interfaces, uh, the ability to be able to push and pull data to and fro anywhere that we might want uh, from any number of systems. The number of systems inside of our companies is constantly increasing. Uh, it's not uncommon now for some organizations to have a dozen or more systems. So how can we simplify that and make our systems work better for us? And finally, artificial intelligence. Uh, there are a number of really incredible AI tools that are out there now, uh, narrow-focused AI, and we'll explain what that means here in a little bit, that could serve some incredible purposes from helping us write better uh, reports and better you know, blog articles to better emails to helping us identify potentially fraudulent transactions in our accounting system. It gives us a, a whole bunch of, uh, think of them as bot workers that are going to be available for us to do different tasks. All that and more in today's podcast. Now, I'm going to remind you, if you didn't catch episodes one and two, you can find those on cpetoday.com. And in episodes one and two, uh, we explored different apps and tools. We took a look at uh, different types of technology that are having a big impact in the world. Uh, we also took a look at uh, uh, some of the different hardware and different components and services that we might want to consider. So if you didn't catch episodes one or two and you want to get yourself caught up on this conversation, definitely go ahead and take a look at uh, at those series available for free at cpetoday.com. All righty. Now, before we get going, I do want to remind you that if you are a financial professional, you can earn credits for watching or listening to today's podcast. And in fact, CP Today has over uh, 75 podcasts available now with 75 credits that you can get um, for your continuing education requirements. 
It's very simple. If you're watching after the fact, head on over to cpetoday.com and our course code today is WCN3. That's how you'll find today's course. You'll take a short five question quiz and then you will earn a completion certificate through our partner K2 Enterprises. And you will have one more credit to be closer to your education requirements for your license. In fact, if you're a new listener or watcher, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're a relatively young and, and growing channel and company. Uh, how about you have a free credit on us and you can use coupon code one free podcast at checkout to get the podcast of your choosing and one free credit. Just give it a go. See if you like it. And uh, lots of topics in lots of different areas from accounting, audit, technology, Excel and more. I'm sure you'll find something that will work well for you. Alrighty, folks, let's go ahead and dive into our presentation for today. And we're going to start off with blockchain technology, including cryptocurrency and NFT. Now, I love talking about this topic because it's so misunderstood. And I really like helping people demystify what exactly these two topics are. And they're intertwined with each other, but they are distinct. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is that it is a bigger topic and more important topic than what you've probably seen in the news. Um, you know, what you see covered on Fox or CNN, it's not the entirety of the story. It's not just about buying illegal goods online or having massive volatile uh, shifts in the valuation of this. Uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency are a wealth of different types of opportunities for all different types of people and all different types of organizations. There's a lot of features and functions that can go into this uh, that you can choose to use from storing information in a highly secure, unalterable way to conducting international trade in a much easier and simplified manner than you've done previously. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that all cryptocurrency are on blockchains, but not all blockchains are cryptocurrency. Um, the bulk of the story that we hear in the media is about Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin or other currencies such as this. And those are all examples of blockchain technology, but that's not the only thing that blockchain can do. Blockchain can be so many more uh, things. It could be used internally for managing logistics networks or uh, doing conferencing or doing, uh, uh, not sorry, not conferencing, contracting and agreements and a lot more like that. But let's just go ahead and first kind of explore these topics in general. And then we'll talk about some of the differences between them. Now, what you want to know about just life in general here in the United States and around the world is that almost everything involves some sort of trusted middleman. In the context of financial transactions, it's typically a bank or it could be a credit card company or, or somebody, some sort of organization would sit in the middle. You know, let's use the context of buying an ice cream cone from the uh, uh, corner ice cream store. Well, I walk in, I give the merchant uh, my order. Uh, when we get to the till, I hand them my credit card and they will then process that credit card through whatever payment processor they use. Let's just say, for example, it is uh, Wells Fargo. Well, that credit card gets swiped. Wells Fargo gets the information. They know the transaction amount and the process of moving money from my account to their account all happens on Wells Fargo's uh, servers. And it's essentially just managed on their behalf. Okay. And that's how transactions have been done forever. You know, short of a cash transaction, where you literally hand somebody cash, you know, we're using some sort of bank, some sort of processor that's going to sit in the middle to process and move transactions. Likewise, if we're doing anything online, typically we're working in a server and a client model. We're using some sort of middle server to process that information, to disseminate it to whomever it was supposed to go to. 
Well, blockchains kind of flip that flip that narrative. And what blockchains allow us to do is they allow us to connect directly to the person that we are doing business with. To go back to our example of the ice cream shop, well, if I were to buy something, let's say using Bitcoin, uh, I'm directly giving them the Bitcoin and they directly receive it. It's more similar to a cash transaction than a credit card transaction. Uh, the benefit is we cut out the middleman and we're able to be able to conduct this business at a much lower cost of operation than we were if we were to pay Wells Fargo that credit card processing fee. The blockchain is that middle where component it's the thing that's actually transacting and moving money from column a to column b it's essentially doing it for us so we talk about using blockchain tech we're really talking about removing that middleman component we're talking about allowing people and organizations to be able to directly work with each other now all blockchain the basis of which is going to be cryptography um, you know using modern cryptography algorithms it allows for things to be secure it allows for this uh, exchange of information where it is um, fast efficient and easy and it also allows for these transactions to actually happen um, it allows it for that actual to occur and that cryptography is pr is central to the core of the actual technology itself now, some other common aspects of public blockchains. Uh, typically, it's a decentralized database or ledger where everybody on the network can see and examine all transactions. Uh, so anybody, for example, on Bitcoin or Ethereum can look at the date of transactions, the origin and destination of different transactions, the amounts, and various metadata that are uh, apparent are going to be public. Uh, it could still be encrypted, but you can still see where things are coming and going. So think of it as being the metadata is still available. And the reason we can put a high degree of trust in this is that all transactions have to be approved by all users in that blockchain, at least on a public blockchain, before that transaction is added to the ledger. And once that transaction is added, it can't be modified, it can't be changed, it can't be deleted. Uh, it's what we refer to as immutable. So it gives us a high degree of trust of what we can expect out of that data coming in. The data, the way it looks today on uh, January 11th, 2022, will look the same 100 years from now. Now, some other central principles of blockchain, okay? It is decentralized and distributed. And again, I'm speaking to public blockchains. We'll talk more about public versus private versus permission here in a minute. But with all blockchains that are public, the nature and method of how the information is stored and processed is very different than what we would see in a traditional business environment. To go to our example of using Wells Fargo for credit card processing, Wells Fargo is responsible for everything. They've got a central set of servers, connections to other banks, but they're the ones that are actually doing the processing of it. And all of that takes place inside of the Wells Fargo ecosystem. Well, with Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's the complete opposite. Uh, there's no one central authority and no one central authority uh, is responsible for the direction of the technology. And in fact, everybody who's participating in this in some way in a small manner or form is actually processing these transactions. Uh, when we push, process a transaction using Bitcoin, that transaction is put out to the blockchain itself. Um, there's a type of, of user inside the blockchain, we would call them a miner, that will see those blocks as they're being processed. And then 
will ultimately move the money from column A to column B. Uh, and again, that process is called mining. But there's not one central foreman, CEO, or anything that's essentially controlling all of this. It's decentralized. Anybody can participate if they choose to do so, um, which is kind of cool because it gives a lot of flexibility and it gives a lot of uh, autonomy to the actual system itself. You know, it's not subject to the same type of market um, issues that you would see, for example, in like the NASDAQ or the uh, uh, New York Stock Exchange. You know, it's, it's, it's a much different approach. It doesn't make it better. It's just different. And also with respect to the actual information inside the blockchain, it's all distributed, uh, meaning anybody who wants to get a copy of the actual ledger and see all those transactions, they can. Um, there's not one central book and they're the one single source of truth. The actual ledger itself is spread across millions of people who are conducting business on that specific blockchain. Um, now, to kind of pull back the lens a little bit further to really kind of help you understand why these two central points being distributed and decentralized are important, you got to remember that the first major cryptocurrency that came out uh, and first major example of blockchain technology that was debuted was Bitcoin. Well, that came out in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis here in the United States and abroad. Well, the original authors intended to try to create something that would not be subject to the same type of market manipulation that we saw here with the big banks uh, that ultimately caused a massive uh, crisis uh, and run on the bank here in the U.S. Maybe run on the bank is a little little strong, but I think you get the idea. They wanted to create something where not one single company, not one single country could basically cripple the world economy. And so that's why they made this uh, to be following these two central principles of distributed and decentralized. Now, these are principles of public blockchains, but that's not the only type of blockchain that's out there. Uh, we have public, private, and permission. Okay. Now, the functionality of blockchains are virtually all the same in terms of how they store information and the way they process information, but there are some distinguishing characteristics about who and where uh, these different types of blockchains can operate, okay? And it's mostly around who's allowed to participate, who's allowed to post, who's allowed to do certain things inside of uh, these ledgers, okay? Now, in a public blockchain, anybody can participate. So when it comes to, for example, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you can do whatever you want. You know, nobody's going to tell you no. Um, you know, you're just one out of millions of people who are participating into that specific um, blockchain. Okay. But we also have this other type. We have a private blockchain and a permission, which is kind of like a hybrid of the both, of both of these. Now, in contrast to a public blockchain where it's open and anybody can participate, a private blockchain is closed off. It requires an invitation and must be validated by some sort of something, some sort of rules, network uh, agreements, something like that to allow you to be able to get into it. So this answers the question that sometimes people will have like, hey, I like some of the stuff that I'm seeing here with blockchain. I just don't want to use Bitcoin. I don't want to have to deal with the market volatility of that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I wouldn't want to either. Well, guess what? There are plenty of, of private blockchain technologies, probably the most common of which is a uh, technology called Hyperledger Fabric. 
uh, originally put forth by IBM, but now open source and anybody can can use this, where you get all the benefits of the blockchain, but it's a provision network. It's something that you can control and you can allow certain people in or not. So it's not necessarily public. And in fact, that's where we're starting to see a lot of really interesting examples of projects and products um, that are being used internally using blockchain technology. Uh, well, they're using these private blockchains. So they're being they're getting all the benefit without actually having to make all of their information public. Now, again, as this hybrid, we also have a permissioned blockchain, uh, which again kind of brings together the both the best of both worlds. Uh, with that permission blockchain, you kind of make some things public, some things not, you know, and you could still control, for example, who's in that particular network. And it gives you a little bit more flexibility, but the benefits of both. Uh, most organizations either go fully public or they go fully private. Uh, benefit of fully private, you control everything. The benefit of fully public is a lot less infrastructure for you to maintain. And it's also easier to exchange information um, widely uh, using that public blockchain. There's also, I would say, maybe a slightly perceived higher degree of trust in a public blockchain uh, because, again, you don't control it. But in general, I would tell you that uh, both are good options. Now, there are some common misconceptions about blockchain that we should be familiar with, okay? Uh, again, probably the biggest of which is that blockchain is all just about Bitcoin, and that's just not true. Blockchain is a whole bunch of other things. Uh, so again, to repeat this, because it's an important distinction, all cryptocurrency is blockchain, but not all blockchain is cryptocurrency. Uh, it's more than just trading cryptocurrency. There's a lot of real world applications from logistics to agreements to lots and lots of other stuff. And again, it's not all public. You can use this technology internally where you get all the benefits, but you could control over who actually gets to access and interact with the system. Now, let's talk about where blockchain might be needed and some different things that you might want to consider with respect to utilizing uh, blockchain. Well, I would tell you there's probably three really good examples of use cases where you might want to consider using blockchain tech. The first is where you need to store stuff and you want to know if any of that stuff that's been stored has been tampered with. And maybe you want to actually have some time and date stamps on that. Well, if you think about it, there's lots of things, you know, first and foremost, contracts and agreements. Uh, you know, if you sign something, an agreement with somebody, you want to know if there's a high degree of trust. There's fidelity inside of that document. You want to know if somebody went through and they modified the contract after it was signed. Well, if you store that contract on the blockchain with its own unique address, it's there forever. It can't be modified, can't be changed. We can put faith that if we're working together, that the agreement, the contract, whatever we decided to put in writing with each other. Well, I know, you know, neither of us can change the written word that is on that agreement. Uh, in fact, we can actually do something called a smart contract, which we're not going to have time to discuss today, but uh, I will point out it's a pretty nifty uh, tool uh, that you can ultimately use that uh, could be a fabulous way with respect to management of um, of uh, automatic contracts that can execute on your behalf. Uh, it's primarily a concept inside of the blockchain called Ethereum, but it's starting to make its way across other blockchains as well. And it's one of the more interesting things that you can do with uh, respect to blockchain because essentially it's like an auto contract, you know, that uh, if, as long as everybody says what they're going to do and they do it, will automatically execute. 
so it, it kind of takes away the performance aspect of, of a traditional contract agreement. If you do what you're going to do, it follows and executes automatically. Uh, but if smart contracts interest you, I'd recommend you check out cpetoday.com. We've got a whole course just on blockchain. We go into a little bit greater depth on just that one topic. Okay, another thing where blockchain can be useful, where parties don't know each other and they need a way of trusting trusting each other and having a way of being able to share data with each other. Uh, so if I'm, for example, a U.S.-based company, and let's say I'm going to get something manufactured overseas in China, well, the traditional way of managing that is quite difficult. You know, it often you know, requires letters of uh, credit and you have to get some banks involved. You have to determine what currency you're going to deal with. Is it going to be RMB? Is it going to be U.S. dollars? And that could be a lot of work, you know, and additionally, you know, you have to put some trust because you're, you're giving them some confidential privileged information and, you know, hoping that they ultimately keep that information in trust. Well, we could use blockchain to be able to exchange maybe my manufacturing plans uh, with them. And uh, we could put the money that we would pay instead of paying in dollars or RMB, we could use something, a neutral currency like Ethereum or Bitcoin. And if I do what I'm going to do and you're going to do what you're going to do, that contract executes automatically. And we can basically all have a high degree of trust that everybody's going to follow through on what they've said. Um, so really kind of cool with respect to how this could be used in manufacturing, logistics networks, uh, purchasing agreements, so on and so forth, potentially maybe even replacing things like banker acceptances, um, and other types of agreements that you could have with a manufacturer, uh, all the way up to, and including things like gambling, you know, um, there's a whole aspect of blockchain technology that can be used in sports books, uh, using again, that kind of smart contracts, uh, idea, you know, if the jets hit it, this contract executes and pays you X dollars automatically. Uh, it could also be really useful where sequence is important. You know, think of, for example, deeds, records, um, titles, things of this in nature. You know, if you've ever bought a house, you know that title insurance can be very uh, expensive and also difficult to clear title. Well, imagine we had an international worldwide directory of parcels of land. You can just look up and immediately see the providence of that particular uh, piece of property. You can know who it was bought by, sold by, so on and so forth. And you could clear title so much uh, quicker than you could previously. So lots of different opportunities to use this. In fact, here are a couple of major things. Uh, blockchain technology can be really helpful in automation because the exchange of information is so fast and efficient and easy. Uh, there's a whole idea of using blockchain for identity verification, you know, proving who you actually are. Uh, there's a group called Civic. And with Civic, they make a uh, product called the Civic ID that is essentially a digital ID card. Um, and, you know, if you use that, it's a way of verifiably proving who you actually are on the internet, uh, which could be really helpful for things like signing up for services where they need to have a confirmation that you are actually the person signing up and not identity theft or fraud. It can be really useful in that particular way. Uh, we can use it for community building and creating engagement amongst people certainly for e-commerce in a couple of different ways, but I think the most notable of which would be some form of method of payment. 
likewise, normal payments as well. Uh, in fact, we're starting to see some companies integrating cryptocurrency directly into their applications. The first that comes to my mind is the company Venmo, uh, which makes a mobile payment solution. You can just pull it up right here on your phone, go to the Venmo app, and from that Venmo app, um, you can go ahead and uh, pay people uh, in using cryptocurrency. You can even buy it directly inside that app as well. And again, kind of coming back to logistics, tracking providence uh, of a particular item. If you get the chime, and again, you, you're welcome to check out the cpetoday.com site and look for our other uh, blockchain courses. I go through, there's been a number of really kind of excellent and interesting blockchain um examples that have been used contemporarily in the last couple of years, uh, specifically, you know, not crypto, but blockchain, uh, specifically one that comes to mind is uh, Walmart's uh, use of blockchain for tracking the providence of food in its stores. They've done a number of pilot projects, uh, as well as companies like Maersk and others that have used blockchain for tracking uh, containers. But the logistics stuff, I mean, it's a no brainer. It's really kind of cool. Now, a couple of contemporary uh, blockchain, like since this is new, what's latest and greatest, a couple of contemporary blockchain topics uh, to fill you in on. So first is proof of work versus proof of stake, uh, the central bank and stable coins, and then we'll talk just a little bit about uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Okay, so there's this big concept and almost kind of a battle in some respects over how to process stuff inside of a blockchain. Traditionally, blockchains have used what has been called proof of work. And Bitcoin is a great example of this, uh, 100% proof of work, where anytime you process a transaction inside of Bitcoin, it goes out, that, that uh, transaction gets added to a block, that block gets processed by miners, um, and that takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of computing resources to be able to do. Uh, you might have heard, for example, one of the couple of different contemporary topics, this global microchip shortage. Uh, you might have heard the price of GPUs or graphics cards are going through the roof. Well, in some respects, not entirely, that has to do somewhat with the blockchain mining. Um, you know, blockchain, in order to be able to process these Bitcoin transactions, they require really heavy computing resources, specifically the graphics card uh, inside of a computer to be able to use. And it's caused graphic card prices to shoot up, which has caused the price of computers to shoot up. Um, it's not good anywhere for the most part. But um, ultimately, just aside from the chip shortage here, it takes a lot of energy to be able to do this, but it's more secure and, you know, it's the way it's always been done. I'm not going to say it's better or worse, but the biggest issue that we have with this is it takes a lot of energy. Well, some of the uh, cryptocurrencies and public blockchains that are out there, Ethereum being a really good example of this, have a new method of processing transaction, which is called proof of stake. And proof of stake requires participants inside of the blockchain to put up their cryptocurrency as collateral uh, in favor of adding the new block information to the chain. Okay. Uh, now, what's interesting with this, and it's kind of a hard concept to understand, you're basically staking your 
Bitcoin or you're staking your Ethereum or whatever currency you happen to be using with with this. So the existing users are basically based, uh, putting up and saying, yes, we're going to verify these transactions ourselves and we're going to use our existing holdings as collateral for adding that inf new information to the chain. Now, the benefit of this is for those existing people who are staking their Ethereum, they're the ones actually getting the mining fees. They're basically getting the reward. Uh, and so it's actually a pretty good way of being able to earn interest on your existing cryptocurrency holdings. Uh, and interest can range anywhere from a couple of percent to like 10 to 15%, just depending on which blockchain you're using and as well as um, how much demand there is at any given time. But this also has some additional benefits in that it's more scalable. It takes less time to process a transaction and it uses significantly less energy um, to be able to do. Now there is a downside because of how it's processed is slightly less secure, but I, even that I think is a very reasonable, um, something that can be overcome. And I think it will get better over time, but this is like kind of a big thing going on right now with some of these newer generation blockchains versus older blockchains. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out in the next couple of years. Now, the next thing is this idea of central bank coins and also stable coins. Uh, no, you know, I would say cryptocurrency and blockchain still in a lot of ways are like the wild, wild west, but, uh, that wild, wild west is changing. It is not nearly what it like what it used to be over the, uh, last couple of years. And that's going to be changing over time. Uh, as more and more people get involved, as more and more people are, um, in this particular process, it's going to become more accepted. And then that's going to bring ultimately more regulation and stability in some respects. You can't grow without becoming more rigid and more stable. It's, it's a requirement in a lot of respects. So we're starting to see some central banks across the world actually get involved. And, and we actually have a term for it now. It's a CBDC cryptocurrency or central bank digital currency. Okay. Uh, and in this particular example, you know, the central bank is directly responsible for that currency. It's digital, but it's backed essentially by the faith and credit of that specific nation. Uh, Token-based blockchains will be established by these central banks. Uh, private blockchains and other, you know, public blockchains like Bitcoin aren't going to necessarily be affected. Uh, but, you know, a central um, bank backed blockchain is going to be less volatile because it will have essentially, and will move at the same rate as that host country. And there are a number of different, uh, organizations and countries that are looking at this as a method for management of their, uh, are they're basically looking to getting into this business, China, Sweden, South Africa, the EU are all have different projects and are investigating different opportunities for this. And in fact, it in a lot of ways makes sense. Uh, if you think about it, I mean, really, there's not that much physical currency being used day to day anymore, you know, for large transactions. It's not like you can go buy a house, you know, with with a $50 bill or, you know, briefcase full of money. Everything's electronic now. So this is just kind of one more step uh, removed from that paper currency. Now, we also have uh, something else called a stable coin. Okay. And stable coins are cryptocurrency where the price is pegged to something else. It could be pegged to another cryptocurrency. It could be pegged to a fiat. Fiat just means a nation backed currency or some sort of commodity, you know, such as uh, precious metals, industrial indexes, and more. Uh, so there are a couple of different types of 
coins that are out there, but the probably the biggest example I can give you is Tether, where the price of one Tether is always equal to $1. Uh, the technology is constantly buying and selling uh, so that the price is stable. One Tether equals one US dollar. And this could be an option for moving money in and out of the market, as well as a method of being able to park funds without having to go through the method of wire transfers to get your money out. Uh, you know, it's a way of basically putting something into a currency that's pegged to something we all know and agree with. We all know what $1 is. So, you know, if the price is fluctuating widely, this is a way of being able to pull money out and put it to something that's essentially equivalent to a real world currency. And there's going to be more of these that are going to be coming out in the next couple of years. Uh, the added benefit of this as well, it could be backed against an indexed fund. There's uh, examples of this where they could be backed against, um, you know, let's say the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 and against stocks that are owned in a particular fund. Uh, and so it could be a method of investing in traditional real world stocks without necessarily having to go through the traditional brokered uh, transaction approach. Okay, so the last topic inside of inside of um, our blockchain section for today is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh, this is, I'm going to be honest, a little bit out there even for me. And it's a little weird. It's a little hard to understand. But let's go ahead and do our best. An NFT or a non-fungible token is a unit of data stored on a digital ledger, typically blockchain, that certifies a digital asset to be unique and therefore not interchangeable. Um, they could use all over for all different types of things, but they could be used to represent photos, videos, audio, and other uh, types of uh, thing. Okay. Now, here's the best way I could describe NFTs, and this is the thing that makes sense for me. Uh, NFTs are kind of like trading cards. You know, if you were a kid and you had baseball cards, as, a, as an example here, and you would go buy. Um, you would go buy, you know, a pack of cards and you might get a Ken Griffey Jr. card, something else like that. And, you know, it would be that specific thing. You know, you don't own Ken Griffey Jr., you don't own the photo, but you have like that specific backed uh, currency or not currency, but uh, trading card. It's the same thing here with this like NFT. It's the ability to be able to buy digital assets that are unique, they're signed, they're numbered, you own them. Okay. Um, however, it's not the same thing because they're not physical. It's not like having the exact same card or, or the art piece or the, uh, or the whatever access uh, to any copy of the original file is not restricted to the buyer of the NFT. So anybody can have a picture of it, but you actually own it and it's recorded on a blockchain. Uh, while copies of these digital items are available to anybody, NFTs are tracked on blockchain and provide owner with kind of like, a, again, kind of going back to a um, certificate of authenticity. You have that to verify that you actually own it. I will point out this is separate from the copyright itself. So there's a couple of examples of NFTs, which I'll, I'll show you here just to kind of pique your interest. And probably the first one is going to be nbatopshot.com. And this is an officially authorized thing of the NBA where you can buy and collect NFTs of NBA stuff, you know, big moments of uh, that have occurred throughout uh, NBA history. So if we come on over here to the marketplace, we can actually go and look. Uh, let's look at their most valuable listings here. Okay, of different NFTs that are currently for sale. So uh, let's go ahead and take a look here at maybe this LeBron James. Okay, so this is what you're buying, people. This this video. Okay, 
And for the low, low, low price of $535,000, you can own this NFT of LeBron James dunking on, uh, at, a, at, a, at a game. Okay. So uh, with this, there could sometimes be multiple of these actual NFTs and they go basically by serial number here. Uh, so if you wanted number 10, you know, that's for sale currently for a million bucks. And this is how you would purchase this particular item. And again, it's like, imagine you got a digital uh, card of, um, you know, LeBron James, but it, it moves, you know, it's like a, it's a video. Another example of this is going to be OpenSea. Okay. OpenSea is also a way of being able to collect, sell, buy, trade NFTs of artwork. All different types that are available, uh, all different styles available. You can actually in shop these different collections. You know, let's just go ahead and just take a look uh, here. Okay. Of this uh, collection, it looks like of some horse paintings. So the white angels of this person. Okay. She's got 40 items, 17 owners, and we can actually see some of the different prices of the artwork. So here's one of, I guess, horses galloping from, uh, galloping in the water. Pretty nice. Okay. Well, they're selling this for one Ethereum. So with that would be 3,217 bucks. You would off, you would own this just in the same way you'd own a piece of art. Hopefully it appreciates in value. And then at some point you can turn around and sell it if you'd like. Uh, but you could search. There's all different types of products uh, and different things besides just art itself. Uh, virtual worlds, uh, photography, music, domain names, and others uh, are all different available things that you can, you can purchase. Uh, and then essentially you own it. So again, it's a way of being able to conduct and transact technology. Um, digitally. So kind of cool in terms of where it would go. Now, what I'll leave you with at the end of the day, blockchain and cryptocurrency, they're cutting edge things, but we're really still very much in our infancy. I would tell you to think about this in the same way you thought about the internet in 1996 and compared to what your thoughts are in 2022. I mean, it changed every aspect of life. And I think blockchain can as well. You know, it's going to take time to make this possible. There's a lot of things are going to have to go right, but you can't argue with uh, where it is right now. I mean, just put it in perspective, the cryptocurrency markets are $2 trillion uh, market capitalization. That's a gigantic, that's bigger than the economy of, of, most places and it's two thirds the size of Apple, you know, just to put it into perspective, but it's still very volatile. It's changing constantly, but it is improving, you know, but I will point out, um, please educate yourself on this. And, and if you are going to invest in some sort of thing, like an NFT or blockchain crypto, know what you're doing, uh, and don't certainly extend yourself beyond your means. Let's go ahead and have a review question by design. Blockchain technology is Secure, decentralized, distributed. Well, you guessed it, folks. It is all of the above. All right, let's go ahead and go into our next section. And in our next section, we're going to go ahead and talk through. Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about APIs here, and then uh, we'll finish with our last section here, artificial intelligence. And so let's go ahead and dive into integration. Okay. Well, integration is essentially the ability for data to be shared between systems with little to no human interaction. Okay. And this is really effective and really helpful because it makes life simpler, easier, faster, cheaper, you name it. It's better all the way around. And for, for this type of integration, it usually happens on one of two 
methods. Uh, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's both. It just depends. Uh, but uh, integration is typically automated and it'll either occur on a events basis, meaning, you know, for example, something occurs and then it, it does whatever sort of action, like creating of a customer, issuing of an invoice, receiving of a payment, or on a schedule. You know, it just happens once an hour, once a day. I would tell you that integration is probably the best thing that you can consider choosing to do in the next um, year for your organization. Um, it offers so many incredible benefits that you should be aware of. Uh, cost savings is a great example. If something is integrated, you're not paid for human labor most of the time, and hopefully you're not. Uh, it reduces your manual effort to be able to do something uh, because someone doesn't physically have to do it. If they don't physically have to do it, well, guess what? Computers do what you tell them to do every single time. So it will result in lower errors. It's a more scalable and efficient approach, you know, where you can essentially have your work not dependent on the number of people. And it will essentially do, a computer can do this as many times as needed. You know, a computer can do millions of tasks per second compared to humans, which can only do one or two, maybe. Uh, it allows you to standardize. If something is integrated, it has to be standardized. You know, it, it does not work well if you have very high degrees of variability in your data. But if you can standardize something, all the better. You know, and if it's standardized, it makes it easier, it makes it more efficient, so on and so forth. And if something is integrated, it's more secure because we've taken humans out of it. Certain things like processing of a credit card, resetting of a customer password, you should never have your users doing to begin with, uh, having to call your company or submit a support ticket. It should just be an integrated automatic thing and it'll make everybody's life a lot simpler. Now, you have lots of opportunities for integration. Here's some ones just off the top of my head that I can think of for your business. Uh, pushing of an invoice from the accounting system to your customer management system so salespeople can see the status. Get them out of the accounting system. Get them in their own system so they can't screw things up for you. But they could still see the status of anything that they're working on in real time. Uh, let's say you're selling stuff online. You know, you're selling physical goods. Well, you could have an inventory system that can push up the levels to the customer-facing website so they can see exactly how many are in order and, and whether or not they're going to get their product because it's in stock. How many of you, for example, have ever bought something on Amazon and you've seen, like, hurry, only three more in stock? I mean, that's a really effective way to help manage customer expectations on mm -hmm. when things are going to ship, whether or not you have it, you know, and it's something you could absolutely do pretty easily. Uh, pushing orders from that same website processing system to maybe a, your fulfillment system, your ERP solution for management, for picking from the inventory house to printing of the logistics labels and more. In fact, you know, maybe you work directly with the logistics carriers, UPS, FedEx, uh, order comes in automatically knows what the weight of the box and everything else automatically generates the packing label from UPS, FedEx. So you don't have to put stamps or postage on it. Uh, then for example, maybe you automatically send customer notifications about their orders. So they know exactly when things ship and when to expect them. Maybe for your company, you have different systems like email, office productivity, maybe you're using Microsoft 365 and more. Well, somebody comes on the setting up of their user accounts across these different systems would happen automatically. A great method for integration. Now, a couple of contemporary topics within integration that we should be familiar with. And uh, the first is going to be uh, REST APIs. We've got what are called iPaaS tools and then RPA, robotic process automation. 
And I don't necessarily need you to be an expert in all these fields. I just want to raise your awareness and make you familiar with what some of these topics mean. So first and foremost, REST APIs. If you're going to go out and buy software anytime soon, I strongly encourage when you're talking with the salespeople of that company, or if you're doing your own research online, double check, make sure that that product you're working with has a REST API. Uh, REST allows for that particular product to be integrated into other products you're using. And REST, representational state transfer, it's easy, it's simple, it's super common, and pretty much if your product supports a REST API, you can push and pull data to it pretty easily. And what's beautiful about REST, it doesn't require any intimate knowledge between systems. So it's a very secure method. You could have an accounting system and a sales system, completely different companies that develop those products. They don't have to do anything with each other because through that REST endpoint, you can take data from one and push it to the other and vice versa uh, really easily. So it provides great interoperability between computer systems on the internet. And if an application supports REST, you could probably integrate it with the other products and tools you're using. So if you're going to go out there looking for stuff anytime soon, ask or do your research, find out if it has a REST API. If so, that's definitely something you should consider using. Now, we also have this other type of tool too. They're called iPaaS or Integration Platform as a Service. Um, and iPaaS tools work with an API. Uh, to be able to push and pull data from one solution to the other. And there are a number of different tools that are out there. I've listed some of the biggest ones here, including If It, If This, Then That, Zapier, Power Automate from Microsoft, uh, Nodemation, uh, N8N, Click, Zoho Flow, and others. But what's really kind of cool is that these tools would work with that API and allow you to be able to push and pull data from those different tools that you're using and allowing for that integration to automatically occur. Uh, if you're interested in this topic, definitely check out the CPE Today course, Data Sharing and Integration. Uh, we've got some different uh, courses just on this specific topic, topic going at a very, very deep level why you might want to consider one of these tools and how they work. We've even got some great walkthroughs showing you how to set those different products up. Now, another tool within the data sharing ecosystem is a tool called RPA or Robotic Process Automation. It's kind of like an iPaaS tool, but it's a little bit different. Uh, RPA is a form of business process automation where robots or bots, we're not talking about like physical robots, you know, we're talking about computer bots here, uh, use some method of AI where they watch a person, how they work. Uh, for example, it, um, you know, processing of an invoice, setting up a customer, whatever it dissects what that person does and produces a list of actions that are necessary to automate that task. Uh, to and from some sort of back-ending language, uh, where APIs are very system-to-system, system, where you basically got system A and system B, and there's really a programmer that's setting that stuff up between it. Uh, RPAs are different. They watch the user work. Uh, they watch the user be able to do a certain thing, and then they script out what they've done, and then you could perform those actions again and again and again. Okay? So here's some examples of what RPAs can do. Uh, banking, financial processing automation, you know, the mortgage lending, evaluating the customer profile, making sure the contract and the uh, loan um, inquiry is all correct uh, before processing of that actual loan. Customer care, like support tickets, email, customer phone calls, and more. Uh, E-commerce data extraction. Um, so for example, you could, for example, have like, you know, invoices that get uh, delivered to your company, you know, electronically. Well, an RPA tool, you know, as long as the invoice is consistent, you know, where the, uh, 
the date and the number, the quantity, you can extract that information using a variety of different techniques and then ultimately input it into your accounting system. Uh, it doesn't approve the invoice, but it just extracts the information necessary to make that decision. Uh, but again, the big difference between like an API and an iPass tool where it's system to system and it's very uh, system level, this is really system and user. It's going to watch you while you work and uh, make those decisions uh, based off of your specific workflow. Um, frankly, I like iPass tools more, but RPA definitely has a fit in. Lots of different tools that are out here. I would tell you, though, the leader in the market, though, is definitely going to be automation anywhere. Uh, this consistently is probably the highest ranked product that are out. Um, it's definitely worth a look. And if, if this is a topic of you, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'd be happy to maybe do some walkthroughs and tutorials of these different products to give you a sense of how they operate. All right, so let's go ahead and have our next review question. What type of project probably could not be accomplished by RPA or iPass tools? So remember, RPA and iPass really deal with data, okay? So if the data is there, if the data is supported, they can do something with it, okay? But they're not humans. They don't have the ability to be able to, to logically think and reason, okay? Could they automatically set up your clients in your various systems? You betcha they could do that. Uh, so... Um, you know, you could, for example, have QuickBooks and HubSpot. You could set up a customer in QuickBooks. It would automatically get set up in HubSpot for that CRM and sales approach. Uh, could it automatically input your incoming in vendor invoices into accounts payable? Absolutely. There are RPA tools that can do that feature extraction where they can scan an invoice and pull out the, the quantity, the line items, the dates, the totals, the, all of that information and directly put it into your accounting system for you. Uh, could it evaluate your clients determining the highest value to the organization? Well, we're really good as a company. We're really good as a, uh, with technology now, but there are some things that are probably out of reach here. Uh, I pass tools and RPA would not be a good fit for that particular, uh, item. They could definitely pull the information for you. They could definitely produce a, a graph, a chart summarizing the information for you. But when it comes to evaluating value, that's a very subjective thing. And that's just not something that computers are really good at. Uh, there could be things above and beyond just the do bottom line impact to the organization, such as how easy is this client to work with, longevity, loyalty, things of this nature, which computers really can't evaluate well. I'm not saying it would be impossible, but that would be something that I really wouldn't necessarily leave to a bot to make that determination. So the correct answer here is evaluating your clients and determining that value. It's just not a good fit for that particular need. All right, let's go into our last topic. Again, looking at what's new, what's coming out there. Well, I would tell you what's always on the bleeding edge and probably will be forever is AI, artificial intelligence, and related topics, machine learning and deep learning. Uh, these topics continue uh, to be something that we're seeing continue in, in development and effort going into um, this idea of creating kind of a sentient artificial being that can work in 24 hours a day and never take a sick day. Uh, it's probably not going to happen just like that. But what I will say is that AI is a, a very contemporary, uh, topic that can find its way into a lot of the different technologies that we're using that can provide a lot of benefit, um, might not be the terminator, but you know, it can help you make better decisions. It can also process low, um, let's just say repetitive mundane work for you and kind of let you focus on the stuff that you want to, to work on. So what is AI? Well, AI is the study of intelligence agents. Uh, basically, any device, system, platform that can perceive its environment, take inputs, and produce outputs. 
Um, and really, when we're talking about AI, we're talking about machines that mimic cognitive functions that we see in human beings. Okay, well, uh, learning, problem solving, you know, that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. We want to teach a computer to do something and produce some sort of output. Now, there are three different levels of AI that we need to be familiar with. There's narrow focused AI, strong or general AI, and then what we refer to as, uh, uh, let's just call it like, um, I don't know, you know, like the, the singularity, you know, like the, the, you know, Terminator AI. Okay, well, we're just going to focus on our, our efforts here on narrow and general well, the good news is that narrow general narrow focused AI is pretty much everywhere at this point. Uh, if you have a smartphone with Siri or Google Play or an Amazon Echo device or something like that, you're interacting with an AI on a seemingly regular basis. You'd be shocked to find out how many different tools that you're interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis that are utilizing AI in some material way. Um, you know, a lot of, for example, weather forecasting now, it's being done by AI, analyzing tons of different data inputs to make a determination of where the weather's gonna be. Uh, and what, what could potentially happen. Uh, there's a number of uh, journalistic reports that are being produced on high quality websites, major journalist networks that were in some way or partially written by a computer. Uh, narrow AI is good at one thing and one thing only. That's why we call it narrow AI. And it doesn't matter how automagical some of these devices might be. I mean, they're still very narrow AI. And narrow AI operates within a predetermined, pre-range set of inputs. Even though it might look really sophisticated, the fact that I could ask Alexa or Siri any number of questions and it always seems to know at least something or an answer, it's ultimately just taking a single input and executing a series of steps to get that particular output to you. Uh, so pretty much everything you're looking at today is a general focused, I'm sorry, not general, but a narrow focused AI. And they're great. I mean, I love them. I tend to use these things all over the place. They're really useful for uh, automating boring, routine, mundane tasks that frankly, nobody really wants to do. But they only do one thing. Now, in contrast, we have strong or general artificial intelligence. This doesn't exist. And maybe, frankly, it maybe never will exist uh, because there's so many things that have to occur um, for this to go right. It might not physically like physically be possible to be able to generate something that is going to be similar to the, to the mind. It might be something completely different. But in contrast with general AI, uh, these are really kind of designed to perform any sort of intellectual task that a human being can be. And really what the Holy Grail here is like creativity, um, consciousness, uh, something that can make informed decisions, uh, that can essentially evaluate multiple different criteria to produce an output. You know, like we have the ability as a human to be able to think about and contrast things in our brains. You know, I can think about the future while also thinking about the past simultaneously to come up with whatever action I'm looking to do. Uh, General AI is designed to execute and be able to reason, solve problems, make judgments under uncertainty with incomplete data, plan, learn, integrate prior knowledge and decision-making, be innovative, imaginative, and creative. And this may or may not happen. And if it does happen, we're, we're talking years and years and years out at this point, 10 plus years. Um, and again, even though some of these things that we're seeing today look quite frankly, incredible, they're not, um, they're not general AI. They're, they're narrowly focused. They only do one specific thing. Now, within AI, we've got a couple of other important concepts such as machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing. These are all kind of built into the AI kind of space. Uh, but the biggest of which is this concept of machine learning, where we can take a series of inputs, uh, build some sort of analytical model, 
And then from that model, um, we can get outputs. Um, and typically it'll iterate over a series of time. It'll learn, it'll take new data in, it'll be able to adapt. And based off of the feedback you give it, it gets stronger and stronger with respect to uh, how it makes those decisions. And we work with machine learning stuff all the time. Uh, if you've ever, for example, done a CAPTCHA, you know, we have to put in the random letters and numbers and things of this nature. Or if you've ever, for example, um, you know, gone on a site and it asks you to click on all the fire hydrants or the stoplights. Uh, Google is the company primarily behind those. And we're using that to train a model for their self-driving car to be able to identify, you know, people in a crosswalk, to identify motorcycles, storefronts, and more. Uh, likewise, if you've ever ranked things on Amazon or Netflix, uh, we're training Amazon and Netflix to come up with a model to better market products and services to us. You know, whether it be the next KitchenAid thing that we need or the next show to watch on Netflix, we're, they know enough about us to be able to start making decisions about things we might like. And that's a really good example of where machine learning is improving our, our life. Uh, we see this in a lot of different ways, too. A really useful way uh, that we see this is in fraud detection. Uh, there are machine learning algorithms that, that analyze all transactions occurring seemingly, you know, millions of times a second all over the world to identify transactions that are out of um, norm, you know. And so companies like the Fair Isaac Corporation or American Express and others, they employ machine learning to potentially identify those fraudulent transactions before the person leaves the storefront to prevent and reduce fraud um, in the marketplace. And they've got a basically a pattern of what Steve buys or what you buy. And if it's outside of that pattern, it gets assigned a score. And if it's over a certain percentage, then it gets flagged for fraud. And then that's why you get the call from the company to either say, Hey, this is me or it is not me. Well, it's because that machine learning is uh, making a certain conclusion. Now, in contrast, we have a thing called deep learning. It's like machine learning, but instead of us telling it what to do and whether or not it's a uh, correct the machine figures that out on its own. Um, instead of kind of organizing it through lots of predefined things, it, it's really kind of crazy. I mean, the computer basically takes the input and will figure out the correct um, output on its own. So it's even more autonomous with respect to what it can do. And if you put those together, you've also got this thing called a neural network, uh, which takes lots of different inputs and will produce an output seemingly from like a black box. Um, so, I mean, the future of this particular technology is really kind of endless in terms of where it might go. Two really good examples of uh, AI that I would recommend you check out, uh, both of which I've been using a lot recently. One is called Grammarly. Uh, this is a, like, think of a spell check, grammar check on steroids, uh, plugs into your favorite browser, Outlook, Word, uh, corrects over 250 different types of grammatical and punctuation, spelling, all different types of things, ultimately helps you be a better writer, but it reads what you're saying and corrects it. It's pretty nifty. Uh, they have a free and paid version, which is pretty cool too. So if you want to get started, it won't cost you anything. I use the free version. It works really well for me. And another tool, this is a brand new tool I just started using. It's called Jarvis. It is a artificially intelligent uh, tool that can make writing for you. I uh, basically give it a little bit of input and it will spit out a paragraph or two on whatever you're trying to do. Uh, so it's a great way of kind of writing the content for your website, writing emails, uh, optimizing your site for search engine optimization, writing the perfect tweet or post. It's pretty cool. Uh, and you can check it out too by going to Jarvis AI. Unfortunately, they don't have a free version, but they do have a trial, which you can check out.
Alrighty, so that does bring us to the end of our class here. Let's go ahead and have our final review question, and then we're gonna go ahead and wrap up for the day. Alrighty. So our final review question here. Okay, uh, Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, et cetera, are all examples of which type of AI? Okay, is it strong, general AI? No, it is not. Is it super intelligence? No, it is not. The correct answer here is narrow focused AI. So it doesn't matter how incredible those might seem, they're still pretty narrow in terms of what they do. So what did we discuss today and what did we learn? Well, we continued our discussion on the latest and greatest and some of the new tech that's coming out here in three specific areas. We talked about some new stuff within the blockchain, um, specifically here, things like NFTs. We talked about... Um, uh, we talked about, uh, the difference between proof of work and proof of stake and some of the changes that are happening in blockchain tech, uh, for the next couple of years. And I'm pretty hot on that. I think it's going to continue to grow and improve. Uh, we explored some data sharing and integration options, looking at robotic process automation, integration platform as a service tools and more. And we also had a little discussion on artificial intelligence of what different AI tools can do and what they're going to lead to in the future. Now, in future courses, we're going to consider upcoming technology hardware that you're going to want to buy, some of the latest and greatest cloud applications, mobile applications, and more, and certainly more tips and tricks to help you gain efficiency in your company. Well, as a final reminder, if you're a financial professional and you'd like credit for today's class, after watching or listening today, head on over to cpetoday.com. Our course code today is WCN3. You just type that into the search bar and find it. With your purchase, you'll get your CPE certificate. You also get copies of our learning materials. You can ask questions or more. Uh, and if you like our content, it's a great way of being able to support the channel. If you are a new watcher or listener, how about you try it for free on us? Pick whatever podcast you like, maybe this one or something else. Put it in your shopping cart and use one free podcast at checkout for a free CPE credit of your choice of whatever you'd like. We've got over 200 products there. I think we've got about 80 podcasts now. We're adding two a week every week. Uh, if you like our content, please consider linking with us on social media. You can find us just about everywhere at CPE Today, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and more. We'd love for you to reach out and say hello. And you can always subscribe to our channel and get it on your mobile device, your iPad, and watch and listen on your schedule. You can find us wherever you happen to get your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and others. So we'd love for you to leave a review. It certainly helps new people find the channel. It is always my pleasure being with you here today. I look forward to seeing you back in the office the next time around. Take care and good luck.